This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 202, Yoga for Lupus and Autoimmune Diseases. You might have an autoimmune yourself, but if you don't, you probably know someone who does. And if you're a yoga teacher, know that at least 5% of your students in the room also do. When you or they experience fatigue, joint pain and stiffness, muscle aches and weakness, or shortness of breath, or when you realize the toll this can take on someone's mental health, yoga can really become an incredible tool to deal with pain, with mood, and with your well-being in general. And to talk about this, today I sat down with Amanda Che. Amanda is the author of The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, a self-help book for women who are feeling scared and alone with their lupus diagnosis. As an entrepreneur and a lifelong health nut herself, she has helped countless businesses and individuals put their health first. Amanda's own battle with lupus, which often drives her bunkers, you'll hear in the episode, has fueled her passion for helping women with lupus as well. And with a master's degree in counseling and as the owner of a stress reduction and mindfulness training company, Amanda really brings a wealth of expertise to her work. If today's episode helps you in any way, share it and help someone else on their journey. And if you leave a review on iTunes for this episode or the podcast in general, or if you share your takeaways on social media, both will give you chances to enter our celebration giveaway for the 200th episode of this podcast. So make sure to leave your review before the end of November when I will pick our winners. I really love to read your takeaways on the episode. So as you take a screenshot for the episodes and share something on Instagram, Instagram, make sure to tag me at on and off your mat podcast or erica.belanger and also send me a screenshot of your review so I can have your name and contact info for when you win. Before we get to today's episode, I have one more announcement to make. So for Black Friday, this Friday, November 24th, I am doing a big flash sale for Recharge, Reconnect and Reset the Retreat coming up this April. So if you've been thinking about going on a retreat in 2024, this is your chance to save $300 on your ticket and join us for a seven-day in-person immersion in Guatemala. This retreat is like getting three months of coaching with me packed in seven days. You'll learn all of my favorite mind, body, spirit, nervous system, and self-care practices so you can drop the hustle lifestyle, melt your stress and anxiety away, and really transform your life from the inside out. If you are a sensitive soul or you're a yogi and you're ready to put yourself first, finally cater to your needs, without guilt for once and learn how you can return to your life feeling rejuvenated and equipped to make it last, this is going to be life-changing for you. And if you'd like to get on the call to talk about all the details, you can DM me on Instagram the word retreat and we'll get on a call. And if you just feel ready and you're in, you can go to ericabelanger.com slash retreat to sign up before November 24. And you can use the coupon code BLACKFR23. So B-L-A-C-K-F-R-23. All right, let's get to today's episode with Amanda. If you are ready to learn how you can make yoga part of your holistic approach to health, this is going to be a good one. Hi, Amanda. Hi, how are you? I'm so well. Thank you for joining me today. Ah, Thank you for having me on this beautiful day. So for listeners that don't know you yet, can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Sure. I am Amanda. I have one husband, one dog, and two daughters. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I was born and raised in Ohio. 
So I am at the moment enjoying the time of being a new author. I've written my first book. Congrats. Thank you. It was a beast of a journey. I learned a lot. So I, no surprise, have lupus. I most likely have had it since I was pregnant with my first daughter. And that was a really tough pregnancy there. We couldn't really figure out what's going on. Fast forward through maybe another decade or so where I was diagnosed with Sjogren's, which is another autoimmune disease that attacks the moisture producing cells in the body, like the eyes and the mouth, in addition to other things. And then another decade forward when I finally got diagnosed with lupus. But most likely for me, the pregnancy is what kicked it into gear. And it just took phases and stages of progression before I was finally diagnosed. Any idea why the pregnancy might have started that? So what we know so far about lupus, and there's a lot we don't know, but most likely there is over 400 gene variations, right? And just because of a gene variation doesn't mean you're going to have lupus. What you need is an environmental trigger. So my trigger was a really rough pregnancy. Now my oldest daughter, Anna, who was that tough pregnancy, she also has lupus. And she got lupus Her trigger was mono. She was really sick in college her freshman year. And then literally five months after I was diagnosed, she was such a similar representation of lupus. I'm like, go get tested. And she had it as well. So you have that trigger. Sometimes it's smoking. Lupus is very sun sensitive. So perhaps some people have it that way. Silica dust, which you might not think is that common. That's where you think of the people cutting stone or cutting cement. But today, my next door neighbor, I watched the guy have no mask as they cut the cement and took it out. And I'm like, ooh, the risk is involved. And things like this are quite significant. Hmm. So interesting. I actually didn't know about that. Can you tell us a little bit more in general, what does lupus look like? Like how does someone start to think like, should I get tested for this? What are the signs and the symptoms in general? Yes, I will. Let's talk first about general terms. So in America, 1.5 million Americans have lupus. Now, 90% of them are women. It looks like a lot, but if I remember, it's like 0.04% of the population. So it seems like a lot, but it's really not. But 90% are women, which is huge. That's a very significant role. We know women have a lot of autoimmune diseases. So what happens with lupus is that the body, which is usually charged with fighting off these viruses and bugs, it turns and it starts to attack specifically in this disease, healthy cells, healthy tissues, and healthy organs. And so that's a very broad term. And that's why you'll find that everyone who has lupus is like a snowflake. Everyone has their own symptoms, their own manifestations of how the disease shows up. Now, most people may think of it like a butterfly on their face, like a butterfly rash. That's kind of the symbol. That's why butterflies are a thing. But it can be everything from losing hair on your head, brain fog, lung infections. You can lose a kidney. And unfortunately, people still continue to die today, although not as much as they did decades ago. But death does occur from this as well. So what are some symptoms? You mentioned what are the most common ones? Fatigue, not like, oh man, I'm tired. I must go to Starbucks. I need to get like a double shot of espresso. Like I am exhausted and all I've done is get on clothes today. So fatigue is very common. Joint pain, so swelling, even if it's not swollen, this pain, the stiffness in the joints, quite common. Women typically run fevers around 100 or below, which seems kind of weird. Mouth ulcers or these mouth sores or nose sores often occur. Um, And then maybe another one is 50% of the people with lupus have anemia, so having problems with that stored iron levels. But it's hard. You know, most don't know about lupus, right? Or we're like, oh, Selena Gomez has it, right? I don't really know. (laughs) I get it. 
It's because it's so vague that it's hard for the media to kind of pull their brain around like, oh, you can die from it. You can just get a little rash. I don't know which one it is, but it is incurable. It is chronic and it is greatly life altering. Yeah, I bet. And I feel like it's like that for most autoimmune in general. Like we kind of know, but we also don't really know because it's never so clear cut. And it's what also makes it difficult to diagnose. Correct. Yeah. It takes on average five to seven years to be diagnosed with lupus. And that's a really, really long time. It feels like, you know, when you were in college, if you took a psychology course, you had every disease out there. I'm like, oh, I have depression. Oh, I'm, you know, schizoid. I'm narcissist, you know, all of these things. And the same comes down with lupus. But luckily there are 11 symptoms that the American College of Rheumatology gives, and you need to have four of the 11 for a diagnosis. Wow. Okay. So it's not, you need to have like all of the symptoms and I have to look a particular way. So again, it makes difficult to talk about it. Isn't that crazy? There's not a blood test. So it's not like you are the winner. It's like, hmm, something looks weird. Let us continue. And I think that's part of why the journey, one of my rheumatologists before I was diagnosed would repeatedly not tell me I had lupus. And I'd be like, come on, you know, I have it. Just tell me. And she'd be like, I'm not telling you because if I say in your medical records that you have this, it will follow you your entire life with your health history. So I want to make sure. You're sure a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that we have a base, obviously this is not a medical podcast. It's a yoga podcast. So why are we here? One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because you use a holistic approach for your own self, your own wellness, and yoga was part of that. So can you tell us a little bit about how your yoga practice has helped you? Let's start with an intro and then we can dig in a little bit more. Yeah, I have taught group fitness for 24 years. I have been a workout beast. You name CrossFit, mixed martial arts, all of these things. But when I was diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease, I, of course, tried to bully it around, but I learned that I couldn't do it. So I was like, let me look at this yoga thing. Let me be front row. Let me do, you know, the crane, the crow, the baby grasshopper. Let me do all these badass things. And then I learned that I wasn't doing well. And so I like all of the things I do, decided I'm going to teach yoga. So I went through my yoga training and then I just began to see the changes that occurred from my body. I got to see the changes that occurred from my mind. And actually at the same time, I was in a clinical trial called the MBSR, which you might've heard. It's called the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. So I spent months working on mindfulness and how to be present and the power of just being in the moment. And so those two things combine. So I do teach now, I, I teach probably heard of lifetime fitness. I teach at a big gym. And then I also teach in my backyard every Saturday and the people continue to show up and it's so lovely, but I have no doubt the power of yoga to heal. And I have, if you want, I've got two great stories that I can share about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so the first one's amazing. I can't believe this happened my first time. You know, you're going through your RYT 200, you have to get back, right? You volunteer, you teach classes. My daughter was in elementary school. I taught the class and the people went away. And I continued, you know, like for a month or so. But then one day this woman came back, she'd been waiting for me after I was done teaching. And she's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, oh yeah, you came to the first class. And she's like, yes. Well, I came to that class. And after I left the class, I went to my doctor and my cancer had come back. And I'm like, wow. And she said, it was from simply sitting in that class, listening to her body that she Mm. knew something was up. (sighs) 
So good. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> class I ever taught. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> this is a funny story. This one's quick as well. I was teaching yoga recently and after class, one of the women came up to me and she's like, oh, my marriage was done when I walked in here. You know, I kind of thought she was joking and I'm like, ah, and she's like, no, I'm serious. I was done with my husband. But after this class, I figured, all right, I'm gonna get back in there and give it another try. And I'm like, oh, like these amazing things that happen in yoga. I'm just gives people suggestions and maybe they listen and maybe they don't, but it talks to the power of yoga. So let's break this down into two things. You talked about how there was changes in your body, in your mind, and we've seen it in those two stories, in the body and in the mind, there was changes. And then there's a power to the practice and an importance to look at it when we look at our wellness and our health holistically. So let's start with what are the changes that we can experience if we have an autoimmune and we use a yoga practice to support ourselves, support our healing in the body and in the mind? What can happen? What can we look for? What can we hope for? Well, the first thing is that most of the lupus people who would listen to this would laugh because they think, oh, everyone always says yoga. Yes, I've tried yoga. The answer is not always yoga. To me, I say, oh, give yoga another try, right? You've heard it before. I went once. I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I'm like, mm, give mm -hmm. it another try. So we know that the idea of being present, which yoga always does, right? It keeps you in the moment, allows the cells in the body to age at a slower rate. So I call it like Botox for the body. The immune system becomes stronger. You become more focused. You become more clear-minded. You become less stressed. There was a very interesting study that I read from Harvard Medical School when they wanted to know what the benefits of yoga one of the main benefits, there's so many, but one of them, they found that yoga actually allows you to get some space between the cells, which doesn't sound that remarkable in itself, but they found that healing and the health lie in between these cells. So when yoga, mm. you're stretching, you're giving that space, it gives more room for the good to come in. And that's a really fascinating way to think of it, I think. Yeah. So we can look at it from the immune system perspective. We can look at it from the nervous system perspective. And then we can look at it even on the cellular level. So that is huge. It's not just flexibility and strength and reconnecting to your body. Like there's so much more layers that will go directly to how you feel day to day, your wellness. And I wonder your opinion, how the illness progresses. Yeah. Meaning how do we feel as the disease progresses? I mean, can we slow it down, the progression? Can we become symptom-free? It remains incurable still, but that yeah. doesn't mean that people don't have their own unique experiences. What I strongly believe is that whether it be autoimmune, you know, lupus or some other form, the reality is that a chunk of your health has been stolen away. It's been robbed by these diseases. but it did not steal everything. The health still remains in you and you have the power of that health. And that is transformative because the healthier I can be, the more manageable my lupus is. And those things are directly connected. You know, I don't like to think of myself as, you know, a lost cause. I am not a lost cause. Up until the very end, my brain can be learning and growing until it's shut off. And so that's the same thing I apply both with my health. And that's why, you know, yoga is so important to me. And I think it's funny. Some people might be interested to hear this and maybe some yoga teachers will relate. Like I stretch all the time, of course, right? But I personally don't go and do a lot of practicing on my own, but I do practice when I teach yoga because for me, that allows 
allows me to be accountable. It keeps me there. And I think it's just kind of funny there. Some instructors may chuckle like, I get it. I do that as well. This just helped me in my process. Yeah, for sure. So not only can we help manage some of the symptoms, also I hear in what you say, the way we interact with it in a sense, like the way that our perception is about what's going on and the way we, I don't want to say treat ourselves, but are in relationship with ourselves within that diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's very easy to be doom and gloom. It's very easy to feel bad about yourself. To think you're sucky. You were given, you know, some crappy cards, which you were. And that is very powerful, but not necessarily in a good way. You know, everything I say could be like how unlucky I am. But in the end, that doesn't serve me. It doesn't fulfill me. And even though I'm 48, I would like to hope that I have decades left in this body, in this mind. And I don't give up now because there's so much still available to me. You know, I think lupus, yes, has robbed me of some stuff, but not of everything. And I, I continue to do what I want to do, but I just know I have to make modifications along that path. Is it the same as with yoga? I mean, I used to do some crazy things. Um, I used to do lots of handstands. Now I have two frozen shoulders and I can't do that. I mean, that's just life. And that doesn't mean I go up and say, I hate yoga. Instead, I'm like, okay, what can I do? How do I change? How do I continue to take care of myself so I can do what I want to do? Yeah. So that might be something that you have experienced because I feel that's really coming through. I wanted to ask, what are the changes that you have experienced, whether it's physically when it comes to inflammation, joint pain, et cetera, emotionally? One thing you just mentioned is like that grace with yourself, right? Of meeting yourself where you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Yeah. I don't know what I did, but something I don't remember. Thankfully, I don't remember. I wasn't kind to myself. It's like a redirecting, you know, like, I love me. I love me. I love me. Okay. And then we just go on. So I'm a woman. I'm a human. I'm, you know, imperfect. And I constantly strive to do better for myself and the world. But first for myself, I've got to treat myself right in order for me to treat other people right. And for me to treat the world better, it all comes cyclical. It does progress in stages. So for me, it's joint pain. When I'm not good, we call it a flare or a flare up when your disease activity is high. So joint pain is very common. I get neuropathy, which is like, feels like I ran a marathon, even though I didn't. So I get the shooting pain from my knee down to my feet. That's quite common there. Physically, I lose some hair, which is really sad. Like, not like Oh, I lost it. Like big clumps of hair will fall out, which is rough. You know, rashes that will come and go. Those are kind of the typical things that we may think of. But the mental ones are kind of the ones you don't expect. So there's something called NPSLE, which neuropsychiatric lupus. They don't know a lot about, but they know a lot of people go through. And besides maybe the idea of brain fog, at times I thought I was having seizures because I would have this zapping thing going across my brain and my face would go to the side. It ended up being nothing. And when you go to nothing, meaning all your structure, your brain looks fine on this MRI and you just have to go on and be like, I swear I was dying. Like I couldn't remember things. I was telling people the wrong thing. Like I forgot names and like all of these things happen. You'll also know that depression and anxiety are very high in lupus. Let me see if I can get my stats right. 19% of the US population has anxiety. 40% with lupus and 3.8% have depression and I believe it's 19% with lupus. Now, does lupus cause this or do you have this as a result of it? Yeah. Chicken or the egg, you know, like you're still dealing with the idea of, Ooh, 
life is really hard mentally. Yeah. It's so common, I find, in these life-altering diagnoses that, of course, your mental health is going to follow as well. Like I know a lot in the endometriosis community, there's a ton of depression. There's a ton of anxiety. I don't know the numbers on top of my head like you did, but I see that as well for sure because there's a hopelessness. There's a helplessness. There's like a lack of support. Like, you know, so there's a lack of improvement even with certain treatments. So like, to know that we can use yoga and that with presence and with stress management and with all the tools of the practice, we might be able to ease the pain. We might be able to lift the brain fog. We might be able to elevate our mood. Like I'm not saying, you know, clinically we'll cure your depression, but if we can kind of just uplift all of it a little bit, then it can make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. When we are forced to do things that we don't want to do or when things are cut off from us that we thought that we were available to life, it is infuriating. It is sad. It's maddening. And so for yoga, if you can go in a class and just for that hour, you forget you feel like crap, you forget your worries, and you come back out with a little bit clearer of a mind. I mean, where else can you get that? You don't get that by hanging out on TikTok. You don't get that from binging on Netflix. I mean, maybe like, I'll give it like a walk in nature. That would be great as well. The benefits are just, I think, worth the effort. Similar to the idea of just following your breath. It's not really that hard, but what you gain from it is powerful, people. Yeah. So that brings us back to that second piece I wanted to talk about, which is the power of the practice, the power of yoga. And I wanted to ask why you are so passionate about urging people to use yoga when it comes to autoimmune and not any other wellness kind of holistic approach. Hmm. One is that I learned pretty quickly and I learned rapidly and forcefully while writing the book that a lot of stuff that is marketed certainly to women when it comes to health and wellness is a bunch of crap, right? They prey on our insecurities. They make us think, we need this and we need that. So I don't like to overcomplicate things. You'll see in the book, I'm like, look, let's keep it really simple because it needs to be. So, you know, I think like, hey, you need to get your heart pumping. You need something to build up the body, the strength, and you need some ways to stretch it out. If you want to call yoga, you want to call it stretching, great. If you want to call it being mindful or meditating or just breathing, great. These are all the same things. You want to run, you want to walk. Like We can find many different ways to do these things, but just the simple act of doing them, like I don't care what you call them, but if there's some way that you can add them into your practice, I think that you will feel maybe just a little bit better. I can't promise the world. Everyone has different responses to it, how often they do it, who their teacher is, you know, all of these different things. But I think giving ourselves the ability to be consistent for a set period of time, don't burn yourself out, just show up for yourself, be there, be on the mat and practice. I think that it is worth the risk. Yeah. I think the idea of consistence over like how hard you go at it is so important, especially for autoimmune and it works also for endometriosis. And we've talked a little bit about this offline before we hopped on to record. Do you think there's a particular type of practice? Because you mentioned like, oh, it's going to be different. But do you think some yoga practices are more 
useful in this case. Like I'm assuming maybe a hot power it might not be the best practice for you if you have lupus, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we either modify the practice we love or what kind of practice do we look for or do we create for our own selves? Well, I would say, first of all, as you know, there's lots of different formats out there. If you are a beginner, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. Start with a beginner class. And then even in a beginner class, try out a few different instructors. They're all going to teach completely different. Don't assume you hate it if you didn't have a great <laughs> instructor. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I personally am not a hot power yoga. I am not a flow on your own. You know, I'm a very purist when it comes to yoga. I'm a little like an Iyengar kind of, you know, I teach Hatha, a vinyasa format, but I am all about slowing it down, listening to the body, redirecting yourself over and over and over. And that's what I would think I would recommend if someone's like, Hey, I want to do yoga. I'd be like, look, take it slow. Find something that you can do. I cringe because the other day someone came in and she's like, I'm new to yoga. And I'm like, great. And then after class, she's like, yeah, I'm new and I've done yoga five days in a row. And I'm like, take a breath. Slow that down, chick. That's going to burn you out, you know? And so what the simple answer is do yoga in whatever format that feels good for you after giving it a try a few different times that allows you to feel restored afterward, not extreme soreness, because that's really big in you know, with lupus, we don't want you to be overrun. We don't want to make it worse. Yeah. No, no, no. And then also find yourself practicing in a way that you are kind to yourself. You know, that mm. first version of me was like, let me stand next to her. Mm, my legs aren't that long, but let me see if I can get mine that high. And I think that's why I like to teach versus practice because I look around and instead I just want like my eyes closed and practicing as if I'm not around anyone. I love that because then you can kind of give yourself those point of reference with every class or any class or any style or any teacher you might go to. Are you able to do this practice with consistence? Do you feel restored after it? Are you able to be kind to yourself during the practice? Is it allowing you to slow down, to listen, to redirect your mind? Like those are the goal of the practice in this case, right? We're not trying to go to yoga international competition. You know what I mean? Like it's a yeah. different goal. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. I think that was beautifully said. No, I mean, the comparison is an act of violence against yourself. Yeah. I try to remember things like that. Like that's intense. If we just try to be in our own lane, we put our little horse blinders on, life is, you know, a little bit easier there without the need to compete, without the need to one up or to look better. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter. No one really does yoga party tricks anywhere. Maybe once in a while we'll work on it, but like in the best way possible, no one cares. No one cares how you work out. No one cares, you know, how you do it or, or what you wear there. So that means that you really get the ability to practice just for you. And if it's for you, shouldn't it be beneficial? Yeah. For what you need in that moment. Yeah. That's right. And things change, you know, to be flexible. You don't always do the same thing every day. I'm like, go to a different class, try something else out. Yeah. And you were talking about how it's not always the same with lupus. You'll have flares and you'll have times where you feel better. So if we think of yoga as a practice that's on and off the mat, how can we use that practice to start to identify what triggers our flares, like to get more awareness around what's going on for ourselves so we can take care of ourselves better. Yes. You, well, you hit it on the head. Self-awareness is really key. My daughter likes to tell me, 
you know, 80% of us aren't very self-aware, to which I say she's completely right. We think we are. We think we know everything about ourselves. And we're like, hmm, wonder why it was really hard to go to the bathroom today. And then we don't bother. We move on. But self-awareness is really the key when you get off the mat to cultivate this idea, like this curiosity, like, hmm, wonder what's going on with me. Or, you know, I really need to drink more water. Yesterday, I felt a big difference. You know, just the constantly questioning in the best way possible. Wow, my shoulder really hurts. I wonder what I did. Okay, let me think that across a day. And Mm. what I take from yoga that definitely helps me both just in life, but dealing with lupus is the ability that my breath is always there. So when I almost fall down the stairs, right, or a car almost crashes into me, my breath is short and tight and I'm pulled up. And I have done it so often now that I have trained my body to really slowly relax. And that greatly helps my system be like, okay, it's okay. We can chill out. We are just fine. And that's powerful. It's like training yourself to react to whatever is happening in your life, right? With the tools of yoga, of being present, being curious, being questioning. And then the breath is one point of reference that we can use on and off mat to have that information. Because as you say, it tells us a lot about how we feel inside, how we're breathing. It does. And it controls the emotions. If you haven't read the book Breath by James Nestor, it is a mind blowing. It's one of my favorite nonfiction books that taught me fascinating things about your breath. Like if you breathe with your mouth open as a baby, your face is physically reshaped on that. So when we breathe in and out through our nose versus our mouth, different emotions can come up. Different emotional states come from that breathing method. So it is easy. You breathe all the time. And to make changes to it and to, you know, yoke it a little longer or do some different things with it, it's not hard. It just takes, again, that time and that consistent practice to allow it to, you know, work for good. Yeah. And for listeners, if you've ever done a kundalini practice, if you've ever done kundalini yoga, you will notice that there's a big difference between doing a breath practice through the nose or through the mouth. You have different effects from it. So it's not, you know, random that in some kriyas, it's up through the mouth. In some kriyas, it's through the nose. There is an effect that we're trying to create here, right? So that's just an example of what you were saying. Yeah. And those yogis, I mean, you know, you know how old yoga is thousands of years old. They knew what they were doing back then. And it's just, you know, us that's catching up to, oh, wow, these are small, powerful things. (laughs) Look at that. Wow. So the idea is, you know, some things that work for me here is when I'm stressed out, I take a slow, very long exhale. There's facts behind it. Whenever possible, I try to keep my lips closed. You know, if I'm climbing a hill while walking my dog, I take that to try to force myself moving in different directions there. And then I intentionally try to slow down the breath. Why yoga is so good as well. Intentionally drawing that breath a little longer. Because if you think of the animals that live the longest in the life, a whale, a turtle, an elephant, they breathe the least. But the animals that breathe the fastest die the quickest. There's some connection there, which is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. That is super interesting. I kind of want to go dive into that right now. I'm like, oh, wait, (laughs) it just sparks ideas. Yeah, yeah. So we can hack these things. I'm not a big hacker. I don't want you to hack, you know, any different programs, but your breath is there. When you're stressed out, instead of, you know, grabbing those hot Cheetos or anything like that, maybe you just kind of sit with it for a minute and breathe a few rounds and see if you don't feel better, because I bet you might. 
Yeah. Talking about hot Cheetos. Yeah. If we look at autoimmune and lupus in particular from this holistic approach, is there a huge impact of diet? I assume there is because there's a huge one on endometriosis. So how can diet support what we do and create a better environment for your body, I suppose? Sure. You know, everyone thinks exercise and nutrition is what your health is. As we know, there's a lot more other components up there, but they're all important components. So when it comes to food, is there a specific way to eat like gluten-free or paleo or any of these things? And science says no at the present time. There's no certain way you need to eat food-wise, but to eat in a manner that is healthy and nutritious goes back to if you have cancer or if you have heart disease, or if you just want to stay healthy, let's eat more plants. Let's eat more vegetables. Let's get some lentils in there, get a lot of fiber. Inflammation is fueled by sugar. So being really conscious of sugar as well. The only big no-nos for us are mung bean sprouts and alfalfa sprouts. Those aren't great for lupus. So we try to avoid those all the time, which is like, you know, that's nothing. It's not mung beans, but it's just the sprouts of them that might be a negative. So, you know, I I think that leaves you the freedom. In the book, I talk about an 80-20 rule, like 80% of the time, try to eat well, please. You know, eat the things you know you need to eat. Listen to your body. It's going to tell you a lot of things. But then the other 20%, oh, go enjoy. Have that food that you want. It's okay because the majority of the time you are doing what you need to do. Yeah. I think it's always easier to maintain any of these habits when we give ourselves a little freedom and there's not restriction around it and rigidity. You know, it's like, can I support myself and come at it from a place of love and not from a place of like violence almost of like, it has to be this way. Otherwise I can't not like, and creates more fear. And, you know, there's kind of a in-between middle path we have to find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that can lead to eating disorders and a lot of unhealthy behaviors. You know, like everything we talk about, we have to give ourselves the grace again to simply make mistakes. How do we learn? We fall down and we make these mistakes. And then when we do it ourselves and we get hurt, then we're more likely to not do that because we made the impact of it versus reading how you know, we should or should not do something. So we just have to allow ourselves the journey that we go through. You have to listen to the body and follow what it says. Yeah. And I think that's a good place for all of the practices. It's like, don't take for cash what people might say to you. Try it in your own body where you are at this time and see if it's helpful or not and pivot as you need and adjust as you need and show up in the way that you're trying to support you and what you need and not what you think it should look like or you think you should be doing, but really showing up for yourself. I get the fact that's not sexy. That's not, you know, (laughs) Instagrammable, like, oh, how boring. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, yeah, we know this. And I'm like, do you? Do you really know that? Like you think running a marathon is great or going vegan or doing some of these extreme things. And I really challenge the people to be like, do something consistently every single day. You are, after all, the sum of your habits. So what are you really? You know, do the things like walk every day, try to see some sunshine, drink a lot of water, work on managing stress, find different ways to improve your sleep. Like all of these things greatly matter and not really talked about as often because they are- They're not flashy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, oh, here's a picture of me sleeping. Great. But I think that's where true health lies and that's where our power lies as well. I agree, I agree. It's not like the magic pill that 
oftentimes we want as humans because, you know, we just want to get it done and we want the reward of the change that happens right away. But the truth of it is it takes tiny little action that you repeat again and again and again. And it's the baseline that matters that you create. Yes. There is no quick fix for your health, but there is a quick break for your health. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we start to wrap this up? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave our conversation with today or one thing we haven't talked about that you're like, oh, we need to talk about this before we finish. Well, I would just like people, we've learned a little bit about lupus. We've learned a little bit how it impacts people. I would say let's leave people with the idea that they most likely know someone who's suffering from lupus, either a family member or there. Reach out to that person. Just ask how they're doing today. Ask how you can support that person. And if they want to share a story of what they're going through, please let them. You know, We are not alone in this life. We are here to lift up others as we lift up ourselves. So be a good friend, be a good citizen of the earth. I love that. I will put all your info in the show notes, of course. But in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to get your book, they want to ask more questions or they want to work with you in some capacity? Where do they go? What do you have right now that's available for them? Yes. So the Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus can be bought on Amazon, of course. I have a website, amandache.com, which is C-H-A-Y. You know, I'm an open book. You ask me, I'm here to help you. And then I'm on Instagram at Amanda E. Che. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave your review for this episode of the podcast in general on iTunes to help us celebrate our 200th episode and enter our amazing giveaway. You can also share the podcast on social media and enter this way. The review gives you 10 enter. The social media share gives you one enter. Either way, make sure to send me a screenshot of your review or tag me in your share to make sure I have your contact info for when you win. And if you want to join us in the retreat or you want to just talk about it a little bit more with me, send me a DM with the word retreat and we'll set up a call. We'll chat all details and answer your question and see if you are a good fit for our group. And if you're just ready to jump in, then you can visit ericabelanger.com slash retreat and use your coupon code to save your $300 Black Friday flash sale, Black FR 23 You'll find the show notes for this episode and all of this information at ericabelanger.com slash 202. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you for you for listening and the growing team behind this podcast in their help in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. Happy Black Friday. I will see you next Monday.